this new pandemic of coronavirus is going to be, if we are open to it, teaching us a new experience of loving. So that's a new thing that I look forward to encountering. I would also say, learn to be patient with yourself, to love yourself first, and to take that seriously. Not as a sort of like a, you know, cliche Hallmark card saying, but really to take it seriously, to practice that, to practice self-love is very important. Chloe Valderay was born in New Orleans to homemaking mother and banker father and grew up in an environment of inquiry and orthodoxy that led her to opening a Pandora's box of curiosity. Through her curiosity, talent and education, Chloe developed a love of art, music and English literature that expanded her worldview and set her on a journey to develop the skills and insights needed to create her theory of enchantment educational program. The course is designed through the use of storytelling and pop culture to equip students with the skills necessary to develop a healthy sense of personal empowerment and social well-being. It's also the name of her eponymous podcast. In part two, we dive deep into the theory of enchantment and Chloe expands on the psychological and spiritual power and value of her curriculum. We discuss the chaos of COVID-19 and the broader issues underlying the moment and the opportunity of creating meaning out of disorder and chaos and how social distancing is bringing us closer in our virtual lives. We also discuss the role and power of storytelling and the influence of Mumford & Sons' first album, Sign More, has had on Chloe's life and journey. Chloe also discusses maintaining discipline to continue learning, the role of the note A minor in developing and making meaning in the world. And of course, we also discuss serendipity, curiosity, education, change, principles, and all her quickfire answers. I hope you enjoy the inquiring mind, the redemptive spirit, and the educational storytelling of Chloe Valderay. I've heard you talk about seeking order out of chaos, and we probably not haven't been in certainly, yeah, all our lifetimes in a in a chaotic moment that we're facing right now. Um, do you think we are at an interesting inflection point in society with regard to coronavirus? <laughs> and what, yeah, well, not so much just that. It's uh, I'll share with you later. I I watched the um, uh, Singularity University have been running a summit for the last uh, couple of days, and it's on again today, a virtual summit. And they had a guy from he worked in the Obama administration in disease control, and he did a brilliant. A presentation yesterday about saying this is our 1941, about how that was a pivotal changing point in the world, world order that then set in, in motion the world order that we've experienced. And he said, you know, we're also what we've been finding to a more open, inclusive world. And what we've been finding recently has been a closed world where borders have been going up, walls have been going up. And it's, it's now it's accelerating with this. And he said, I think we are we're now at a point where we need more bottom-up um, from direction and collaboration and understanding and all the things we're talking about that will provide guidance and to define what the future world is because our leadership is failing us. It's not. this The world that they're taking us, the direction we're going in, is maybe not the way that we as society want and need. And it's all incumbent on all of us to define what that future is. And it's brilliant. It's fantastic. I watched it um, this morning. I'll share it with you. And I, I just think that this is a, we might be facing a, the virus, but it's more uh, around what's what's happening around it and why it's happening to us. That it's maybe, you know, I've used this before and I can't remember who said it, that life happens for us, not to us. 
And this is maybe something that's happening that's helping us define where the next, what the next five, six, seven years are going to be will define the next century. And it's really interesting. Yeah, I have thought about, (laughs) I tweeted recently, I was like, wait, what if this experience that apparently we're more or less all experiencing globally right now is actually a pathway to spiritual transcendence because it's forcing us to exactly. call back. <laughs> totally, yes, yeah, and reflect on everything. To look at our, our material obsessions, the sort of the fragility of the system we're living in. I think you're right. I also uh, tweeted on the Theory of Enchantment page that some of us are for the first time realizing that we create, whether consciously or subconsciously, meaning out of this order. So some, so some people haven't, haven't realized that this is what we do by, by virtue of being human beings. So all of, all of our systems, from religious systems to financial systems to social, social systems, are all in effect in service of creating meaning out of chaos. And some people are aware of that and some people are not aware of that. And I think that this experience that we're all going through is forcing some people to actually realize that. Now, I do think, to draw a parallel, that in the same way that that experience that I had in senior year in college was was like a, (laughs) Brene Brown uses the term spiritual awakening slash breakdown. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So she calls, she says, I call it a breakdown. My therapist calls it a spiritual awakening. (laughs) But I think that this experience might be for some people that same thing, that this, this experience might end up being the cognitive dissonance, which I, I think cognitive dissonance is a a stage on the way to um, higher states of Mm -hmm. consciousness. You have to go through the cognitive dissonance in order to achieve the higher state of consciousness. You can't avoid it. It's not possible. You have to have that. In a sense, you have to go through the depression. You have to go through the breakdown in order to be forced to try to make meaning of it. And the making sense of it is actually what gets you to the higher state of consciousness. Uh So do I think that that is what is happening now? It is only happening now if we choose to make it so. So... We'll see if we choose to make yeah. it so. I know for me personally, I'm trying to take this moment to be more consistent in a spiritual practice. So I've meditated twice a day for the past four days now, which is the longest I've consistently meditated ever in my life. That's, that's funny. We I was invited to a series of lunches recently by the Summit Series. They start to put together a small group in New York and... They were really fantastic, just 12 people around a table talking about, you know, what we're dealing with. And this is just before the emergence of the, the virus. And of course, now they're being cancelled. But uh, one of the, the people in there is a guy called Bryce, and he's an ex-banker or corporate lawyer turned meditation teacher. So he uh, held a group meditation session at 7.30 this morning. It was lovely. Everyone got into a Google Hangout. And he led the meditation. Everyone talked about what they're experiencing, and afterwards, it was it was great. So, I, but I think this is what it's going to do. That it's going to stimulate new connections. I mean, I've heard so many other people saying we've got to get used to living online now in a way that we've never done before. But it's going to bring it might bring us closer together in ways we never imagined. Right. And this is the irony because it's possible that actually we're we're experiencing less social distancing. Right now, than we ever yes. have, right? <laughs> Even though we're physically distanced away from each other, I was just, you know, I, I I had a Zoom call with a bunch of my friends yesterday, 
and we decided to make this a weekly thing. And I'm just like, wow. So it took a global pandemic for us to dedicate ourselves to seeing each other weekly. <laughs> I know. You know, as opposed to in the past where we took for granted that we would see each other and then consistently schedule anything. It's fascinating. Um, there's um, a, another group, WhatsApp group I'm on. Um, it's very UK centric. It's called Difference Makers. And they're, they're holding a Zoom call tonight at six o'clock UK time for a chat over wine. I'm going, great. It's going to be <laughs> two o'clock in the afternoon my time. I can't exactly crack open a bottle of Chardonnay then. <laughs> the Bettina would probably say I would. Why not? But it's great. But I think these, these, this is what's going to be really fascinating. But I want to, I want to just go back to storytelling because it is a core part of your practice and there are ancient perspectives and teachings. It made me think this morning when I watched that guy talk about, our, this is our 1941, or I think he also said St. Crispin's Day as well from Henry V, I think it is. This is our St. Crispin's Day. There is going to be, story is going to have such an important part to play in in injecting belief and optimism of the and of way forward. How are you thinking? Because obviously you're, we don't know how long this is going to last, you know, whether it's a few weeks or a few months, and I suspect it's going to be longer than even a few months. How do you see the role of storytelling playing and how are you going to sort of tap into story the way that this guy did today to guide people and give them confidence and optimism and belief in the future? So, yeah, I mean, storytelling is how we create uh, meaning out of chaos. So storytelling is a meaning-making mechanism that by definition, by virtue of being human, we cannot but help do. You know, I remember seeing a study that showed that like if you show if you show a random screen of, you know, three dots moving about the screen to a human being, they will automatically make a story out of it. <laughs> if you ask if you ask a human being what's happening here, they will auto well this dot is, you know, trying to avoid this dot. Already you have a story, right? So yeah, I think we will inevitably tell stories in, in terms of what I'm trying to do with theory of enchantment, I'm trying to make sure that I am in a in a healthy spiritual place during this time so that I can tell healthy stories because the story is only as healthy as a storyteller. Right. So I'm trying to make sure, like I said, I maintain a healthy spiritual practice, consistent spiritual practice. A lot of, a lot of the stoic teachings are in now placed in sharp relief during a time like this, because it's like, yes, um, I teach, you know, meditate on your mortality, which is one of the biggest, biggest teachings in Stoicism. Say that again. Meditate on your mortality. Oh, yeah. Remember uh, yeah. that you will die. So I think that, yes. I think that now, more, yes. So I think that now more than ever is a beautiful and opportune time to do that. And to, mm. what I have found is that I inevitably learn to be content. I inevitably learn contentment. Um, with that practice, which is a story in and of itself. So I just think that the more I practice a healthy, holistic outlook, the more I can produce those stories that will help guide people who are navigating this difficult time. I also should say that I have decided to, with all the free time that I have, to start writing more. I really need to be more disciplined in my writing in general, but also to uh, produce eBooks more specifically. So I'm working on this eBook right now that is a deep dive into Mumford and Sons' first album, <laughs> Sigh No More. <laughs> Didn't expect that one cut. To go. Yeah, okay. Know that joke in uh, Monty Python? Great album, huh? 
no one ever expects the inquisition. No one ever expects me to say this. Uh, my roommate actually said said the same thing when I told him. He was like, I did not expect this to be the first project. <laughs> but actually, that album, Sign No More, was ve- there's so many things in my life that were formative. Uh, I, would, I would talk to you for hours, honestly. We don't have time. But that album, Sign No More, which I discovered when I was 16 years old, was so fundamental to, to my to shaping my worldview because it brought English literature onto pop onto the radio. So, you know, because they obviously reference Plato and they reference the Bible and they reference Shakespeare and so much of their songs. Um, so I'm producing an ebook that's basically like a deep dive annotation of that entire album. You've got to get them involved in it. I would from your lips, I mean, I would you have love to. to uh, mm. I am hoping that that is what inevitably comes out of this. Mm. Um, okay. But so if you know anyone who knows, you know, the gentleman of the uh, road. <laughs> I'm sure we know someone. One of our my best friends is the photographer for the band The National. Okay. I would love to get Mumford and Sons involved in the theory of And Germany. if not, and if not, I mean, Bettina, when are we, when are we doing that long overdue interview with um, that music exec. Oh, um, Mark McCriatis. Oh, we don't know that. That's, well, I mean, we didn't know it back then. We were supposed to do it January, then this first December, then January. I mean, and now I think it's, it's we definitely don't have a date. Yeah, well, we can maybe it'll be easier to do over Zoom rather than a face-to-face. In a very far future, I'm afraid. All right, I'll take I'll take I'll take that challenge on to find Mumford and Sons through our little network. Thank our, you. Oh, actually, okay. Oh, actually, maybe now that he's stuck at home like we all are, maybe we'll yeah. can do a Zoom call. You know, maybe he'd be happy to do an interview. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That would be now so cool. The, now, Bettina, now is the time to strike. Go and get him. <laughs> yeah. Well, we struck already. It was just that uh, it never fell, came through. But maybe now, yeah. Mark Macriatus, he's working with um, Nils Rogers. Okay. Yeah, so he's working with him on this and they're they're redefining the future of the record industry and or music industry. It's fascinating. But anyway, that's going to take us off track. Buckminster Fuller said, you can never learn less, you can only learn more. How do you continue to learn? I mean, you've obviously got a voracious appetite for knowledge and literature and a curiosity. Is do you have a a process or tools that you use to continue to learn and to hold yourself accountable? Oh, that's a good question. In some respects, discipline is my forte. In other respects, it is not. So I am aware of where I need to sort of tighten the levers, as it were. But it's like, for example, like I need to consistently wake up at the same time, and I haven't been <laughs> during the week, <laughs> and I haven't been doing that, and I need to really do that put my foot down but i mean yeah i try to read for two hours every day i'm reading an incredible book right now called dominion by uh wow his name literally just escapes me it's about how the subtitle is how the christian revolution totally changed the world tom holland mm-hmm. um oh, yeah was a mm-hmm. londoner one of the most fascinating history books i've ever read quite a, 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 a page turner actually most history books i read are like dry but this is a real, like, compelling, like, thick book. And it's really been fascinating to read. Also reading a collection of Toni Morrison's essays right now. I'm actually, it's, it won't happen, but I'm, like, terrified that I'm going to run out of the books during this time. Um, but as you can see, I don't, I don't think that's yeah, going to happen. <laughs> 
but I learn from everything. I part of my challenge is to is again about balance because I learn from pop culture and everything is pop culture. So on Thursday evenings, I try to, to uh, maintain a musical practice. Um, so that usually entails getting high on marijuana and either dancing uh, for a very long extended period of time. So usually if Corona wasn't happening, I would go, I would either go out or stay in. I also like to dance, you know, by myself, but also producing music. So last year I started producing music and I'm going to probably use this time to produce more music. Uh, a couple of years ago, I taught myself guitar because do you know the artist Ben Howard? Yes. Yeah. So I was also obsessed with him yeah. in high school. Uh, oh. And uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of like different strings here, but uh, mm. I, th- I just thought he was a brilliant singer songwriter uh, and brilliant guitarist, acoustic guitarist. And a couple years ago, I thought to myself, "Why am I watching Netflix when I've been so enamored by Ben Howard that I should just I like I had this need to see if I could play like him? And of course, I can't play like him, but I have taught myself basic guitar uh, as a result." And um, so every Thursday, I, I try to do a combination of either playing guitar and dancing or musical production and playing guitar. And I, I try to practice that every Thursday. So that's a that's a knowledge. That's a learning mechanism that I that's very abundant because I learn something new every time I do this. And also, like, I have to determine the extent to which I consume like TV because there is a great deal actually to learn from TV shows, but yeah. but it can also veer into like a form of escapism as, a, as opposed to a form of learning. So I have to be careful with that. So I prefer doing things that require my full attention. <laughs> and film film does require my full attention. For some reason, TV shows do not have that. It doesn't have that same resonance with me. So it's also difficult when you're watching at home. I find it's the distractions when you're, if you're also in a movie in a cinema, even if it's a documentary, you're always going to be more immersed in it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there are things you can do on your phone, you know, that can take you out of it. It's so funny. You're escaping from the escapism, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Just one thing as you were talking, it made me about films and learning from them. Did you see that great documentary, All of Us or One of Us, is it? that was set in here in Williamsburg about the um, Hasidic. I think they've made it into a movie. It's called Unorthodox. Someone just sent me a link. It's on Netflix, uh, just released. And I think it's the it's it's the movie of her life. Uh, apparently it's brilliant. So I got that it was sent to me this morning saying, use this time, some time to watch it. So check it so out. You want to hear how crazy and small the world is? So the director of that movie did Jesus Camp. Same directors. <laughs> ah, you're kidding. Really? Yeah. Same exact directors. Ah, oh, wow. Actually, the one that they did in Williamsburg was far, they, I think they learned, it was far less ham-fisted and far more compassionate to their subjects. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I actually know some of the, I know some of the people who know some of the people in that community because I roll deep in Jewish circles and specifically yeah. Orthodox Jewish circles. So... Yeah, it's like degrees of separation and connection. Um, but yeah, same directors. So it's a small world. That's fascinating. I've got to watch Jesus Camp. My sister is um evangelical Christian, so I'm going to have to share Jesus Camp with her because she was supposed to be going on her Jesus Camp and it's been cancelled because of the coronavirus. Oh, really? <laughs> so yeah. 
and they're not set up to do virtual conference camps. So, you know, but anyway, right, carrying on, I'm, I'm conscious of time and I want to get into um, all the, through all the questions. How do you remain optimistic through these sort of, clearly there's a lot of um, negative stories out there. I mean, Yuval Noah Harari talked to Davos about the existential crisis facing us of climate collapse, nuclear war and, and the technological threats. Uh, do you have anything you can share with our listeners as to how to remain optimistic and focused on a positive view of the future? Well, Yuval, I find Yuval Harari funny. That's a, another story for another time. But uh, <laughs> I would say that my, I mean, I can just tell you personally that my, I'm very, like the archetype that I operate through is a redemptive archetype. That's just how, that's just who I am as a person that defines the stories I gravitate towards. So I believe in a redemptive archetype. I believe that despite the tragedy of human existence. So the way I, an analogy I I will say is that I really love, on guitar, I love A minor, the note A minor, because A minor is both, both, it sounds both tragic and triumphant. And I I find that A minor is used in a lot of actually old Negro spirituals um, and a lot of African-American music to connote the simultaneous tragedy of life, but also the redemptive arc of life. And so that's just the lens through which I view everything. I understand that like some people don't view it that way. I can't really dictate to people how to view it, but that's, that's how I make sense of the world. That's how I make meaning in the world. That's how, that's how I, I, I can't, I don't see the purpose of like art uh, unless that were the case. So, you know, everything I think is a challenge for mankind to rise to its higher self, ultimately, whether that's all, you know, regardless in, and including all of the things that you just listed, all of these are challenges for man to rise to their higher selves. Um, and I know that's easier said than done, <laughs> obviously, but this is sort of my guiding principle, my, my foundational belief. So that's, that's how brilliant. I approach it. I love that. It's brilliant. Thank you. Um, serendipity is one of, I'd say, the red thread that runs through the podcast, although we don't, we only ask one question about it. We like to explore what chance encounters, what apparently chance encounters or happy accidents or serendipitous events have defined your journey or changed the direction of your journey? Serendipity. What a fascinating concept. I think that technically speaking, everything is serendipitous. <laughs> yeah, <Right>? I, yeah. <laughs> um, everything is constantly unfolding in the way it is meant to be unfolding, even though we don't necessarily perceive of it in that way. And I don't always perceive of it in that way. But in terms of specific moments, I think that my trip to Rome a couple of years ago was very serendipitous because I grew up in a very, in a home that was critical of Roman Catholicism. And I had a very religious experience in Rome, which is sort of ironic, <laughs> right? Um, it's, it's, a, it's another clash. It's another like cognitive dissonant, cognitively dissonant experience uh, where I saw that there is beauty in a lot of the things that Roman Catholicism produced, even though I don't necessarily adhere to the Roman Catholicism understanding of of life. And also that opened me up to understanding the different paradox, another paradox of life, which is that beauty can be found in something that you thought anathema to your very identity, actually. I think that was very serendipitous. I also had a lot of ideas about enchantment in Rome because I went to Rome in the middle of doing the research project. And I was sort of like, 
I was I was forced to contemplate meaning of beauty, but I was also forced to contemplate the meaning of mortality because it's the first time that like all of antiquity stood in front of me, hovered over me, and just uh, totally proclaimed that I would die one day. <laughs> and these two experiences of beauty and mortality were like so beautiful and daunting at the same time. Um, but that was an experience I definitely think that was meant to be. So. I've already mentioned that you seem to be a very curious um, person where curiosity is part of your very being. How do you continue to cultivate it or is it just a natural part of you? I think at this point it's a natural part of me. I, I think it's funny, people, people, when I was working for a company, people told me, but you're so entrepreneurial. And I did not know what they were talking about. <laughs> I did not like, I did not register <laughs> in those terms um, that the constant curiosity I was showing and demonstrating in my work was actually the bedrock of entrepreneurial, of an entrepreneurial spirit. So yeah, I think I've always been curious. Uh, and also I think that the religious upbringing that I had by definition, because it was rooted in part in inquiry. Inquiry. Yeah. 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 Uh, made me just curious and, you know, develop that sensibility within me. And as an entrepreneur, I mean, I felt, I mean, I've been outside of corporate world since 2013 and I think there's a constant state of uncertainty and ambiguity. How do you embrace it? Yeah, so that was, that was, it's still hard. Uh, it was initially way harder in the, in the beginning because I just didn't know, like, who's my market? Who I'm going to sell to? Like, what is this product that I have? But I think the more I really internalize the practice of taking things day by day and not catastrophizing everything, the better my outlook on entrepreneurial life is and the more tolerable that ambiguity is. As long as I don't catastrophize it and like, you know, do this thing that human beings do where we assume that things are going to unfold as opposed to just letting things unfold. Uh, and again, that's a part of the dance versus the resistance. So the more I learn to, to, practice that in other aspects of my life, the more I take that into the entrepreneurial part of my life. I'm going to ask you this question now, um, in case I don't, in case I forget it, because I should have written it down. If anyone's going to go and listen to your podcast, well, I hope they will. I mean, I, Arno is a brilliant interview. Um, I found it totally inspiring. What would be the three interviews from your podcast series that you would want people to go and listen to? That's a great question. I interviewed my fav one of my favorite bands a couple months ago last year called Ife, which is a mm -hmm. Puerto Rican-based band, I-F-E. So I would say first listen to the album. <laughs> first listen to the album. They only have one album uh, that came out in 2017. It's their debut album. First listen to the album and then listen to the interview. So Ife is one. There's one coming out that hasn't come out yet that I would say <laughs> listen to it. So I interviewed Daryl Davis two weeks ago. Oh, you didn't. didn't. <laughs> yeah. Damn. I've been chasing I've been chasing Arno to get Daryl for since well two two and a half months now. Really? I can give you oh. his, his email. I'm happy to share that with oh, you. Oh, I've got I've got his email. Oh. <laughs> Just not be able to pin him down. That must have been brilliant. Did it was so good it? because I went to his house. I was in DC for a conference oh. where I saw all of the robes and stuff and he also played the piano for me which was really cool <laughs> oh i hope you got your guitar out and did some a minor uh, <laughs> no i was just i was just I mean, he's a brilliant musician i was just in mm. awe of every everything you know so that'll be out probably next week so i would encourage people okay. to listen to that 
to that one because that's wild. Yeah. Just a wild life and a wild story. And then the third one. So I would say to listen to the episode with Tasha Blank. Tasha Blank. Okay. Tasha Blank is a DJ I discovered in Brooklyn uh, when I first moved here. I used to go to her sets almost religiously. They were like spiritual experiences. She has this set called The Get Down that she does uh-huh. every, every other Thursday, usually in Brooklyn. And I had been chasing her for, for an interview for like a year. <laughs> I finally got it. So that was a fun, that was good. That was, uh, we were both, I think, in like flow states for that interview, mm-hmm. which was cool. Oh, well, I look forward to listening to that one. That's for sure. Okay. Education is really important to us. Um, if for positive change for future generations, if you were given the keys to the White House or the mayor's office, what changes would you make to the education system to create new opportunity and a better future society? Ooh, one of the books I read recently was a textbook on the history of education in America. So you would think I would be poised for this question, but alas, there's so much to, <laughs> to do. I would say, first of all... Aside from doing Theory of Enchantment and making it part of the career, I mean, you've, you've already written the answer to that. <laughs> right. Besides like what I'm already doing to try to change the education system, I yeah. would say that I would mandate that every... I would mandate that every public school have like a budget for mental health slash social emotional uh, being. Totally. So important. Yeah. And that's not like a one hour lecture for the semester. That's like a fully integrated class. Yeah. Whether that's a part of the already existing health and wellness class or part of or an elective, like I would mandate that that be a part of the curriculum in public high schools. And I would also allocate, I don't know if this is possible actually, jurisdiction rules are fuzzy, but I would make sure that for private schools, there's like something that mandates that a part of their budget be allocated. Well, a part of their line item budget be allocated to mental health and wellness. That's what I would do. It's oh, a great answer. No one said that before, so that's good. What principles do you, the quick fire questions, uh, what principles do you stand by? Try to love when, when, especially when it's hard. Everything passes. Everything yeah. passes away and transforms. Pass, passing is just an act of transformation. So everything passes, everything changes. Everything is... Isn't it hard for us sometimes to to be cognizant of the fact that we are always in a state of transformation? Yes. Well, this is why I teach the Lion King. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. It's so so funny to me how people don't stop to ask themselves why they like the the Lion King so much. Mm. (laughs) You know, and it's like, oh, let me tell you why. It's actually trying Mm. to teach us very fundamental truths about the human condition. So I might watch that tonight, actually. Uh, I know. I've, I was literally just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> I try to watch Lion King at least once a year. But um, yeah, so yeah, it's definitely difficult for us to be, because it's not the 10,000 foot level, we're in it. So it's hard for us to be in it and also simultaneously looking at it from a 10,000 foot level. But yeah, change is constant. Change is the one thing that's constant. Um, and the way I make sense of it is by saying dance. Because yes. actually, when I'm dancing, I'm in a total flow, total flow state, and I'm totally at one with the changes, <laughs> essentially. So the more I use dance as a metaphor to understand change, the more, the more content I am with change, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to resistant to it. 
So just learning, knowing everything changes, knowing and trying to learn how to love. There's a great song by Lil Wayne that I teach in the curriculum called How to Love. And just un, un, or, or capturing and learning the different ways to love as life unfolds. Because I don't know all the ways to love. You learn different ways. You learn different approaches to love based upon the different situations you find yourself in. So there are new ways to uncover how to love every day, depending upon, you know, the situations you find yourselves in. This new pandemic of coronavirus is going to be, if we are open to it, teaching us a new experience of loving. So that's a new thing that I look forward to encountering. I would also say learn to be patient with yourself because you can't do any of these things (laughs) unless you really learn to be patient with yourself, to love yourself first. And to take that seriously, not as a sort of like a, you know, cliche Hallmark card, you know, saying, but really to take it seriously and to practice that, to practice self-love is very important. They're great. Oh, oh, just three? Yeah, just three. No, no. If you've got more. I would say one more would be to try to remember that like this is an insanely, this is just a crazy adventure that we're all on. I think that this is what Stoicism has taught me. Like once you learn to meditate on your mortality, one of the things that comes out of that is practicing gratitude for this insane, crazy adventure that we're all on. Like what a wild ride <laughs> that we're on right now. Like it's like we're alive. That's ins- like the entire experience is insane, you know? And to always keep that in mind when things go crazy, like right now, <laughs> Corona. No. Well, Okay, they're they're great principles. What hard choices have you had to make that might have been tough at the time, but turned out to be the right decision in the end? Uh, getting a tattoo. <laughs> As I grew up with this, like, you know, we weren't supposed to get a tattoo from a religious perspective. And I, when I was in Rome, it was when I first decided I wanted a tattoo. Then my friend who I was with was like, well, get it now then. I was like, no, 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 <laughs> I'm going to get it now. And I said, decided to myself that like, if I still want it in a year, then I'll get it. And so I ended up getting it. Um, and that was hard just because like I, I put my parents' worldview on such a pedestal and to be honorably rebellious. I think I was honorably rebellious in getting a tattoo. And the tattoo is? Tattoo is a Leonard Cohen quote that says the lovers will rise up. Great. So that was hard. Uh, in terms of more like emotionally harder, oh, that was emotionally hard, but I don't know, just like, honestly, like just... You know, I go home twice a year and my parents' worldview is so different from mine. And so just being being content in that space has been a learning curve for me. But I have learned that the process has been very, the process comes with gifts. To be able to learn how to do that is a gift. So that's something I'd say is, has been hard, but it has also been uh, ultimately a good thing that I've been forced to learn how to do. Where do you go to discover new ideas? Um, books, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> books, yeah. And music, but especially books. What is the one problem worth solving? The one problem worth, well, you know, I think the one problem worth solving is getting people to learn how to love. I think once you do that, you solve everything. Agree with you on that one. If you could return to one night, one day in history to see someone to be there, where, when, and 
with who? Not to change the world, just to, yeah. just to so. witness it. Yeah, that's such a. I did not read all the questions in advance, by the way. <laughs> if you can't tell, that's good. That's, that's um, all right. <laughs> um, you know, Dr. King has you know his famous speech says his famous last speech that he said mm-hmm. that he gave. He says that if he had been given the opportunity to stop in a in a series of places to bear witness to them. He would not stop. It's actually an amazing speech that he that you should check out if you haven't seen it. Uh-huh. Where he says, "If the Creator had given me the opportunity to go back to witness the children of Israel crossing into the land of Israel, I would not stop there. And if He gave me the opportunity to see Plato and Socrates, uh-huh. I would not stop there." You know, he goes, "It's a really, <laughs> it's a really beautiful." Oh, I have to go and I have to go and read that. Right? Okay. I'm just thinking about, but I think I would stop in one of these places uh, personally. <laughs> I don't know. I think that I would... Oh, this is crazy. Okay. So I would stop to see the moment that Maya Angelou spoke for the first Uh time after not speaking for like seven years, I think it was. I would would go witness that moment. That'd be special. It was like after her teacher was like, "If if you do not... She says it like, if I do not hear the poetry coming from your lips... Then uh-huh. you cannot claim to love poetry. And she said she got under like the slabs of her house um, as a young child and then read from and I would I would go see that. Okay. I thought you were gonna say breaking bread and having wine with Marcus Aurelius, but you know <laughs> my <laughs> Angelou's good. <laughs> Not quite. Um, okay. <laughs> What's the one question no one asks you that that you wish they would? Mm. I think I would maybe, maybe like, what have you struggled with? Mm-hmm. People don't assume that I've struggled, which is weird because every artist, by definition, struggles. Yeah. So, what have you struggled with? And the answer? Yeah, but you can't. That's not. Ah, okay. Right. <laughs> I was, no one ever, no one ever gives me the answer. Only one person has, but that's, Wait, that's fair. Wait, uh, no, no. no, 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 no. It's better not to because then, then the next person that does the podcast, they can ask you. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. So if someone else, anyone that does their research properly will listen to this and then they'll go, hey, so we've got this question for you. That's right. That's great. It'll be, that's an abundant mindset. <laughs> I know. Yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> um, who's made you reevaluate yourself? Oh, well, my teacher in the senior year in college, definitely. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say my friend, Amanda Berman. She just came to mind for some reason. I don't know. It's been more experiences than people. Hmm. Okay. Like? Like the experience in Rome, for example. Yeah. yeah. Ah, of course. Right. No, that's, okay. that's clear. Yeah. Okay. Our impossible question. What would your advice be to someone that's just about to graduate or study that's got a dream, a goal, a grand ambition has been told, forget it, that's impossible? Everything is possible. Straight to the point. Okay. We finish with these questions. Bit fun. What's your go-to karaoke song? Purple Rain by Prince. Oh, nice. <laughs> That'd be fun. I um, get really into it. <laughs> yeah. And dancing probably. Um, <laughs> best recent Netflix, Amazon or series, movie, documentary, regardless of platform. Best recent movie, definitely A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick, who's my favorite director of all time. Oh, I've not seen that. It's a good one. It's his latest one. It just got out of theaters, I think. Um, favorite TV show... I really enjoyed the chef show on Netflix because it was very meditative. It's just chefs cooking and really like 
you know, exploring that passion. And I, okay. I love to see them so happy in doing that. <laughs> well, this is going to be a hard one for you. What book would you like us to offer? Any listener that offers submits a best question or comment, uh, comment in a comment section or on Instagram. So we like to give away a book that you recommend that someone should read. East of Eden by Steinbeck. Ah, didn't expect that one. Also my right. favorite book of all time. <laughs> hmm. Great. Yeah, I remember that from my school days. Um, but I read that right. late, late in life. I read that in my uh-huh. 20s. So. Okay. Um, final question. Who should we interview next? Mm-hmm. Mm. It's a great question. And I'll explain why we do this, because we don't decide who we interview. The whole process is a process of serendipity. So you were a result of Arno. Arno was a result of Stephen Hecht. And it just goes on like that. So I assume that we have to know the people that we're suggesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because we then we then ask you to make an introduction. Once, the, once your episode is out, we then use that. And you can say, hey, I was interviewed in Possible Network and they recommend you. Oh, I mean, can I say Daryl Davis? <laughs> well, I've got da- Daryl's already been recommended by um, by Arno. So no, no, Dar- no, Daryl was da- actually Daryl was you were Arno, and Daryl he did that Daryl as well. He recommended two people, so you could you could recommend Daryl and someone else if you want. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of people that I actually know <laughs> um, that I would recommend. It could be someone that you've interviewed that you think would be interesting for us to interview. I think Jonathan Haidt would be interesting. He's okay. a psychologist out of NYU, professor out of NYU that I've interviewed that I can connect you to. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, we just wrap up by thanking you for your time and your patience and for, for doing this with us. I'd acknowledge you for, well, I have so much here. I think we have to acknowledge you for, I think you termed it dancing with reality yes acknowledge you for your embrace of stoicism and your commitment to story and the power of story and inspiring people through the redemptive qualities in the human condition because i think everyone needs that and i think finally just to acknowledge you for diving into that Pandora's box as a child because many children wouldn't take that step and would avoid it. Sure. So um, thank you for doing that because I think it's uh, created a, a very interesting life that's a lot more interesting things to come. So thank you for your time and look forward to um, following up. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. If you like the show, please subscribe and ideally give us a five-star rating and a review because it helps more people find us. Just go to iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player to listen and subscribe. This show is an Impossible Network production and is produced by Bettina McKaylee and Elaine Castillo-Keller. But for now, be curious, be creative, and seek out serendipity. See you next time.